Hey, it's Dan here. If you want to hear this episode of the Backchat Podcast without ads and get extra content that no one else gets, head to backchatstudios.com.au where you can sign up as a patron and access all of our bloody good merch. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey guys, this week on Backchat, we've got Bo Waters, the hard man, the Premiership Eagle. Uh, I think potentially at the end of this podcast, you may have a different opinion. And if you don't know Bo, what you see on the field isn't necessarily what you get off it. He's incredibly reflective on his time as a West Coast Eagle. Um, Speaks about all the big moments he was involved in, losing grand finals, winning premierships, big hits, uh, both on and off the field. And then what he's been able to transition to after his football career, uh, both uh, Ironman, the Hawaiian Ironman, it was an incredible feat, what he was able to do there, uh, fatherhood uh, and everything in between. It's a great chat, uh, something that I've been really looking forward to doing and having just sat down and spoken to Bo, um, I think you'll enjoy it too. Um, Really great, great stuff, whether you're a West Coast fan or not. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Give us a rating and follow Backchat on YouTube to watch all of our episodes. Enjoy. Well, look, a lot excites me these days, but not much excites me when it comes to guests because I just love doing them so much. But this man... Yeah gets me up and about and I'm very excited to be sitting opposite Bo Waters first time on back chat how are hey, you mate hey team I'm good going really well thanks thanks I'm, for having me on I'm, I'm gonna say you're the best dress guest we've ever had on yeah very Bo, sharp Bowie texted me before um organizing the chat and he said what what what, what, what do you want me to wear what costume do you want me to wear hmm. and I said I would like somewhere in the range of 2002 to 2004 Bo Waters he has right. come in I don't know, I'd say 2035 by Waters. Yeah, he's like that. Just like that. Well, I, the shell necklace from when I was drafted. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just decided it wasn't quite there for today. I'd forgotten about And some of us have to work. Some of us actually <laughs> have day jobs. Hey, this is a yeah. job, mate. Wow. Now, content is king, brother. Yeah, that is correct. And I'll be syncing up a nice picture of your shell necklace with Good. Sam Butler. Did have you, you seen did it? Did you also have like the um, the mullety thing that everyone was doing at that time? Yeah, a bit of peroxide as well. Absolutely. <laughs> it's the rite of passage. It's the <laughs> rite of passage. Now, we've skipped ahead. Our Sorry. first question we ask every guest, Bowie. Um, hasn't been a guest on here. We haven't asked this. Your greatest sporting achievement, not on the football field. We know you're a premiership player. Mm-hmm. We know you're all Australian. Mm-hmm. Vice captain of the club. Mm-hmm. Life member of the football club, you're a good footballer. I reckon you've hit a few blokes, and you're you're a big man out in the field. We're here to tell you 
we don't care for right now about yeah. the football field. I want to greatest sporting achievement not on the football field. I'm sure you've noticed his cricket ball here. Dan Const, five for 16 and uh, an under-12s grand, grand final. Yep. You can have, it's actually broken. <laughs> you can take the ball out now if you ever just have something. If you need something to play with. Bo's not, like Bo not impressed whatsoever. Five yeah. for 16 sounds good. Uh, that's better than uh, that's my none for 116, the only cricket game I ever played. Well, we, <laughs> I was <laughs> under nine state 80 metre hurdle champion. Impressive. Correct. I want to know your greatest sporting achievement. Greatest sporting achievement. Well, it's not falling over on the first, second and third hurdle when I was eight years old <laughs> and giving that up. Uh, I went, I came a long way from there. I think if I'm being serious, it's probably making it to Hawaii mm. in the Ironman, both 2016 and 2018. It's quite cool. First amateur uh, across the line for Bustledon, 2018 down there. So, you know, I'd never thought I'd be able to swim 500 metres, let alone 3.8 kilometres and then contribute to uh, that, contributing to making a uh, Hawaiian Ironman. That, That's good. Did I, you know about that, about this, man? We're going to get into it later. But he's decent a lunatic. achievement. He's a lunatic. What are we doing in 2017? Slacking off. Took a break. Took a break. <laughs> Just working on myself. A bit of personal development. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, it's we're actually gonna... not that easy competing in season. Mate, I mean, it's just incredible some of the stuff you've done post-footy. So we're going to get into that, but I want to pull it right back to the beginning. Okay. <laughs> Bo Waters, growing up in South Australia, Happy Valley. What's what's childhood Bo like? What's, what is it? Sporting up, upbringing? Like, what, what's, what is it? Yeah, what sport was everything for me. Kind of a lot of people already know, grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. Um, low socioeconomic family, sports that great equaliser where you don't have to have a lot of money, you just run out in the field, you can play cricket, you can play footy. If you don't have enough, you don't have a pair of boots or you have a pair of boots, whatever that might look like, and you can vent a lot of your frustration on the field. So sport was my absolute go-to day in and day out. Spent a lot of time on my own, kicking the footy in between the, the driveways, that was the goalpost, um, trying to pick the ball up one-handed, falling over numerous times, trying to hit the post with the footy. Really, anyone that knew me knew that I loved the game, kind of had a ball in hand, um, often to the frustration of many of my teachers as I was trying to kick a tree and hit the young guy with glasses sitting underneath <laughs> it. <laughs> no <Man>. judgment. <laughs> I didn't wear glasses. Um, but yeah, child childhood was, that was the constant, was, was sport, kind of training, couple of days a week, play on the weekends, uh, absolutely loved it. And then watching, taking stats of, of the AFL, loved all sport as well. Wasn't very good at anything outside of football and baseball. So older half-brother played um, played a fair bit of baseball. Yeah, the older half-brother was uh, playing over in the States, played with the Blue Jays and played in Tampa as well. So always had a um, kind of vested interest to be half-decent at that and managed to play kind of state and national level baseball and then gave that up to play. Did you? AFL. I did not know this. Yeah, kind baseball. of best kept secret. Pitcher, yeah. hitter? I was a kind of hitter, hitter first base. Holy shit. He just slipped in the eye, man. He's got <laughs> baseball. Yeah. yeah. So was like, was there a, like, if you're making national teams, I'm, you were good. Well, I was okay, yeah. I was okay. I was not. I was not a star. Like I was never going to head over to the US. I didn't have a Shannon Hearn conundrum where it's do you play cricket for Australia or do you go and play AFL. Mm. It was at a relatively young age, and always knew I wanted to play footy. Needed something to keep me busy in the summer. Um, footy was very much a winter sport back then. There wasn't a lot of development squads and ways to improve yourself in those summer 
uh, months. So I was, yeah, playing a bit of baseball. Were you a Crows fan? Big Crows fan. Uh, big Crows fan from 97, 98, where we won the flag. Uh, spent a lot of time with my best mate at the time, Benny Nisbet, and their family was like through and through uh, Collingwood. And uh, so became quite uh, enamoured with the Collingwood Footy Club as well. Uh, Nathan Buckley was my my hero mm. growing up. Just thought he was incredible. Always tried to emulate him with the the kicking kicking technique with the fanned out um, uh, elbows. Anyone that knows my AFL career knows that I wasn't a very good kick. But <laughs> look, no judgment, please. <laughs> no no white wigs here today, folks. Um, so a lot of time kind of uh, following the Maggies as well, and yeah, it's. A bit of success. Chrissy Tarrin as well back then, back in the day, is very nice. impressive, man. Great, great biceps. Great biceps. Correct. Yeah, if nothing emulate, else. Emulate him as well. Well, I'd never got there. Never got the tan either. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you grow up Happy Valley. Um, you get drafted as a bottom age, I believe. Um, what's that? Can you remember that? Can you remember back then? It's a little yeah, while ago, I, yeah, I can. So we – I was at my – at Nizzy's house actually – um, ben Nisbet, not Trevor Nisbet, and he's uh, <laughs> got a bit of nepotism there <laughs> at uh, Ben Nisbet's place with his folks. Draft day is always interesting. There was a guy called David Kellett who was the captain of our under-18 team the year before. Um, he was meant to go top 10. Dave was a great player, had a bit of attitude, wasn't the fastest guy on the, on the oval. He had assumed that he was going to get drafted. He had all the people around his house to have a big barbecue and standing there, the cameras were there nothing ended up happening. So kind of I always had this kind of these conniptions about the possibility of that unfolding, you know, it had quite good interest from a handful of clubs. North Melbourne had actually said, you know, I reckon that we'll take you with seven. Subsequently, they took Dave Kellett, um, a good friend of mine. And um, funny story, I think it's a funny story. Fast forward a couple of years, Mark LaCroix's brother Brent was actually playing at mm. North Melbourne. Mm. And Dean Laidley was coaching at that stage. It was Dean, not Danny. Mm. And um, he said to Dave Keller, he'd been kind of injured, hadn't really performed as a top 10 draft pick. And he goes, Dave, any chance you doing something? I knew he should have bloody taken Bo Waters. <laughs> in a game. In a game at <laughs> halftime. At halftime. Brent Lacraz rung Mark straight away and gone, you would not believe what <laughs> oh Dean lately at halftime. I'm in stitches. I've texted I've texted Dave Keller. I'm like, you poor bugger. He's brutal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, You're a premiership player at that stage, I'm assuming. I was, yeah. No, I was a premiership <laughs> player. <Pulled up>. Yeah. <laughs> so snuck, I snuck out to 11. Um, you know, great, greatest day of your life, right? You, you, your name gets read out and your whole world changes. You, you pack a bag and you're going to jump on a plane, go and live in the West Coast. We had the under 18, sorry, the under 16 championships in Western Australia. I went home from that after spending a bit of time down at Scarborough Beach and mm. kind of looking at everything that goes on down there, mainly the white sand, of yes, course. beautiful ocean. And uh, <laughs> had a great tournament. I said, oh, I'd love to move to Perth. Would love to go go over there. So when my name right. got read out at 11, um, was absolutely stoked. Hmm. Funnily enough, Boren Shammer and Matt Pavlich were pa- playing at uh, Frio at that stage, who I'd, both pl- I'd played with both of them in Adelaide, in particular Sham at West Adelaide. So I thought maybe I might go um, to Frio. That'd be quite cool. Right. You know? Dave Mundy 
got taken at 10. They got that pick right, didn't they? <laughs> and then, Good pick. And then Riley Dunn went 12 or 13. They kind of bookended me. So fast forward, draft went through, um, got a phone call to arrange a picture. Sammy Butler got drafted at 20, I believe, um, yes. from Central Districts. He and I grew up with a love-hate relationship. He was kind of the king of the north and I was – the Prince of the South, and and um, we always had this kind of love-hate in the under-18 tournament. He was kind of big personality. Fast forward, we uh, we got drafted the same team. So he made his way down to Happy Valley to have a photo. I had the shell necklace on. Oh, <laughs> had the shell neck was piggybacking <laughs> Sammy or yeah. vice versa. <laughs> One of the more awkward moments you'll ever see. And anyway, <laughs> it was a oh, – Whose idea was it to piggyback – Match made in heaven. Match made in heaven. Kind of the yang. not awkward. You and the yang. At least he didn't get excited. <laughs> is, is it? Is it? Can, do you have a tattoo? I do have a tattoo. Are you the yin or the yang? It's it's been filled in now. Can, what? Ta, ta, so Bowie and Butsy tattoos. <laughs> this is how far out. Mate. Let me see. Let me see. That's it. That's it. Your piggyback. Couple of young blokes. Couple of, couple of strapping length. young blokes. Are they short longs or long shorts? Well, I don't know. You've got the three-quarter jeans on. <laughs> yeah. oh, the bag of three-quarter With the white, like, etnies yeah. or something, I'm assuming. No, nah, no etnies, no. Nah. So you and Butsy, close. <laughs> so drafting close. the same draft. Yeah. Best mates. Yeah. Yin and the Yang tattoo. That's how close yeah, we got. Yeah, we got a Yin and Yang tattoo. Yeah, a couple of blokes from Adelaide. Out of our own domain, trying to make it, you know, little fish in a big pond over in WA, trying to make it, and we thought – We'll get a yin and yang tattoo. That'd be great. Did what? you get it together at the same time? We did, yeah. What wasn't there? Wasn't there some? Didn't you have some sort of theory that like you, there, there was a long time where you two wouldn't play together because one of you was always injured? Yeah, well, it some bad of, juju in the in the kind of twelve or so years that we played together. I think we only played 20, 20 odd games That's together. Right. So That's I played ridiculous. You know, it's just insane. So we ended up um, trying to get rid of that bad juju. I retired. Sammy didn't miss a game for the next four years. <laughs> <laughs> ended up getting up to like one seventy or something. I was like, oh, sorry, mate. <laughs> it wasn't the tattoo. It was just yeah. Me. Well, I think we were trying to compete with each other so much off field that um, we were trying to we were breaking each other down. <laughs> What's it like walking into the West Coast Eagles then? Because they're, they're starting. They're, they're coming towards this. You know. Obviously, the 06 pinnacle, but Judd, Cousins, Kerr, mm. Cox, Embley, Glass. Like, you're walking into a team of superstars. Yeah. Can, can you, can you yeah, you are. As a young bloke? Yeah, well, and, and the thing you kind of miss there is you're being – they're coached by a whoosher. So, so not only have you got those those players who you've looked at as absolute stars, you know, because at that time was, was flying um, – but you had the most revered and feared defender and player of all time if, between Bush and probably Glenn Archer coaching the team and someone I always admired. So in a lot of respects, the person who was most daunting was 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 the coach. You meet him and you're like, if I could kind of be anything like you, that would be a great achievement over a career. So that was that was really cool. Spent, uh, spent the first couple of sessions with Andrew Embley and had my – absolute ring hanging out like just realize that there, there's a paradigm difference between snfl footy and afl footy and that was the come to jesus moment to be honest like yeah. you've rocked up to an afl club you're watching cars you're watching coxie glassy chicky all those names you've mentioned and then you've got embers training and th at this stage she was vice captain of the footy club hmm. 
as fit as he's ever been. Nothing like what he looks like at the moment. Half the man he looks <laughs> like at the moment. And he, but he, he taught me a lot about hard work and, you know, in a, in a lot of respects kind of buddied up with me and said, come and, come and spend some time. And, you know, a wise person at the West, West Adelaide Footy Club said, once you get there, find someone that's going to set the standard, set the precedent for what you want to do and just mirror them, kind of almost be their shadow. And Embers was that person early on because of how hard he was training. Hmm. Um, and that was a great learning lesson. And so the first couple of months were a baptism of fire. You're at a footy club, you're trying to earn respect, you're trying to show a bit of your personality and your commitment, but you don't want to overstep either. And that's a really fine balance of you've been the big fish in a really small pond back in South Australia, and then you come over to the AFL and you're like, okay, well, how do I earn the respect of these guys outside of just trying to be a lunatic? And it's, it's really, to be honest, just knuckling down and training and doing everything you need to do to be in the best shape and trying to create depth in the list at that particular time. And subsequently that worked quite well, ended up playing round three the next year, yep. um, you know, played, debuted against Essendon, Essendon Correct. round three, um, which was actually the game that Hurdy Hurdy kicked that great goal and hugged the guy in the crowd. That was your first yeah. game. That was my first game. Yeah, so I think they kicked the first eight of the game. We kicked the next nine of the game. Embers went to Hurdy at halftime. Hurdy had 20 and kicked three in the second half. Well done, Embers. <laughs> <laughs> you reckon that's the last time he played in the back line? Well, then toward the end of his career, yeah. he did. When we were playing loose, <laughs> he was racking them up. Um, no, and, and but yeah, and he... Heard he did that incredible kind of check goal from the from the uh, boundary and hugged that gentleman in the crowd and so I'll never forget that that first game. Mm. So that's two thousand and four. Yes, sir. You, I mean, <clears throat> not that you'll sort of want to focus on it, but to a point, injuries played a big part in your career. Mm. So oh four, you played ten games. I went, I went through your <clears throat> excuse me. I went through your career. So 10 games 04, mm -hmm. zero games 05. Mm -hmm. missed the whole season with osteitis pubis. Mm -hmm. In fact, that was one of three years you didn't play one game. Mm -hmm. So um, 06, 23 games mm -hmm. with, with a flag. 07, 20 games. You think, mm -hmm. all right, here we go. Now we go eight games 08, zero games 09, 21 games 10, mm -hmm. 11 games 11, 20 games 12, 7, 0, 15 mm -hmm. retired. It, it, like FIFO worker. Wow, mate. I mean, <laughs> in for a season, out for a season. Two, two things come to mind. Like, uh, there's mm -hmm. some real adversity you had to work through it mm -hmm. as a person because we speak to a lot of people on here about rehab and mm -hmm. mental challenges that come with mm -hmm. that. And two, luck, unlucky. I, I, I don't know. Like the, what do you do? You look at that and think. What, what do you think? I, I don't necessarily think unlucky. I think the. Um, definitely challenging mm. and there are a lot of times where you had to take a long hard look at yourself in the mirror and say okay am i up for this challenge you know you've just you're a young guy you played 10 games in your opening season you've done an absolute belt of pre-season you're feeling at the top of your game um as a 19 year old and then you get osteitis pubis and they tell you that you're out for the season they're going to take a conservative approach and you're not playing for the rest of the year mm. we played in a grand final that year yep. so i was an up-and-coming team <clears throat> So how do you try and work through that as a young man? There's a couple of ways. One is that just identify the areas that you can work on. 
So osteitis, you can't do a lot in terms of big strength building because you put too much pressure on your groins. So how could I get stronger in my legs and my core? And so I did a lot of Pilates and yoga, flexibility. Um, also invested a lot more into the community. So got involved in the Cancer Council at that stage, became the ambassador. Mm. And if you're ever going to get some perspective around where things are at, that's a great way to do it. So that really helped me prioritise kind of my thinking and rationalising the things that were going on. Still incredibly lucky to be on an AFL list, still adding value in different ways and then engaging with the community. So really important aspect of me being able to kind of um, work through that particular challenge. Got back, won a premiership in 06, absolutely stoked. Then 07, had a relatively good year as well, was, was you know encouraged that we may achieve some kind of dynasty. We had an unbelievable year, list, quite young at that stage as well. Didn't quite work out that way. And then um, subsequently 08, did my elbow, yep. missed all of 09 with a reoccurring issue relating to that elbow and then absolutely busted my backside, um, prioritised above all else rehab, getting stronger, came back in relatively good shape at uh, the start of that 2010 season and then had a had a good consistent season in a really challenging year. We won the wooden spoon. Yep. So 22 years old. Vice captain of the club, captain of the second half of 2010. Yes. As, as so, I'd won a wooden spoon, a premiership, and was was kind of standing captain at 22, and had missed two full seasons. So, kind of a bit of a bipolar career <laughs> in 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 the first few years. All all of that being being said, I would say to to have a sustained career in in the AFL, you have to be you have to have a point of difference. And I always acknowledge that my point of difference in that particular team was definitely not my kicking accuracy, right? It was being a, a decent teammate um, that helped look after our players that played the game quite hard, ran in straight lines. And I think the downside of that is that you put your body in pretty compromised positions, um, also kind of pushed hard in other areas and, you know, most of the injuries I had across my career were big impact injuries. They weren't mm. soft tissue, wasn't necessarily overuse. It was, you know, dislocated elbow a couple of times, dislocated shoulder, compound fracture in my foot, um, things like that that made me miss extended periods. We um, saw recently uh, like Clayton Oliver was arguing with a trainer because um, I think he's been trying to rehab and get back and uh, it sounded like he wasn't getting the best news. Was that something for you? Like, you know, if you're missing a lot of games through to injury, are you um, like really fighting to get back on the field? Like, are you having those sorts of conversations with trainers? Like, because you seem pretty, I don't know, determined, right? And so if you're getting told like you're going to miss because of, of injury, it's like it must be a tough thing to have to continually go through. Like being told that you're not going to play because of injury. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great question because um, you know the late Phil Walsh used to say what makes you good makes you bad, and what makes an AFL player great is their their determination, their competitive instinct, their ability to push the boundaries and go beyond what's humanly possible or perceived to be possible. Sometimes when you're dealing with medical staff and doctors and and some of the rehab staff, it's very um, regimented around this is the best practices to get you back. We're always trying to challenge the um, accepted. So if something's meant to take six weeks, I'm saying, well, I'm going to do it in four 
and they're saying, no, you're not. I'm saying, well, watch me. Now, if that – and I typically did, right? But subsequently, I don't know if that has an adverse effect long term, but you can't necessarily pick and choose the mindset that you want if you want to be at the absolute best. So Clayton, from his perspective, is saying, I know my body, I know how to push my body, and I feel as though I can challenge and potentially play. You know, sometimes you get blinded, and you've got the blinkers on as to what this looks like. And, and the club would typically have your medium to long-term best interest at heart. Whereas as a player, you're only as good as your last game. So you're looking at, I want to play this week. You're not necessarily saying, I want to be in the best shape I can come round 22 and then focus yeah. on the finals. <clears throat> Players don't typically think about the finals. They think about who they're playing that week, how they're going to contribute the best they can, how they play their role, and then how they front up and play the following week. Now, it's a bit of a flawed mindset if you're constantly coming back from injuries because it then puts pressure on other parts of your body. Now, I don't know what the the, poss- the outcome of all of that is. I do know that what made me good made me bad. I definitely try to push myself physically and mentally, um, challenge some of the timeframes that were put on me in terms of getting back on the field and uh, managed to get there in a lot, of, a lot of respects and then also had quite a few setbacks in other areas. When it was all said and done at the end of your career, John Worsfold described you as the most changed player that he's ever seen in his time in footy. Um, I didn't know you from the very beginning, but sort of, you know, quite early, 2007, I remember you picking me up in Sam Butler's White Magna from White Sands, I believe, <laughs> where you stayed as a 16-year-old. It was fair to say when you got to the footy club, you were pretty rough around the edges. Like I've heard, I know you and I've heard you speak about it. You, you, it that, that, that was You were rough, right, when you got to the club. Yeah, like I said at the start, I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks and you, you kind of – the only way you survived was to to push the boundaries and was a big risk taker in, in a lot of aspects of my life. Um, could have easily gone down the path that a lot of my friends and um, family had gone down, which which wouldn't have ended well for, for anyone, but had this ability to kick a ball and also kind of the aptitude to, to apply that um, to get the best out of myself – and again, that didn't just stop on field. I, you know, naturally took risk off field. I, kind of pushed the boundaries. I probably wasn't the best student, but, you know, always had a respect for my elders and people that I was around. But didn't necessarily have that same respect for myself. Hmm. Came to the club, got exposed to an incredible data set of people from all different backgrounds, and that's the great thing about a footy club. At that stage, it was just men, but we had men from different countries, all the guys were different sizes, different backgrounds, private school, public school. We had an incredible board of executives that had success in the business world. We had an inspirational leader in Nizzi that if you were doing something wrong, you knew it when you were pulled into his office. And then we had a whole heap of um, execs and marketing people within the club that were incredibly passionate about making us the best players possible. Plus, you had this guy, John Worsfold, who had the best set of core values you've ever seen in your life. And, you know, as a person that had always identified areas of improvement, naturally it just started to bond with people that I saw that were um, successful in their own right and started to attribute that back to different uh, attributes that they had. And I think over time you just adopt more and more of that um, that perfectionist mindset of trying to make yourself better every day, really that, again, a growth perspective of how do I leave this footy club? Because it is a finite existence. There's no two ways about it. You know, guys like 
Brent Harvey play for an incredibly long time, but he still has finished. So there's a general acknowledgement when you get to the club, probably after the first 24, 36 months, that this is a finite existence. How am I going to set myself up best as possible to transition out of this great game and use that as a catapult into the next phase of my life? 2004, you get there rough though. 2005, you miss the season. At some point, you try and take on a taxi in the middle of the street. Uh, and you like, we can come back on that, but 06, you win a flag as a 20 year old, 20, yeah. youngest bloke on the field. Yeah, um, I actually always thought Sam Butler was uh younger than you, yeah, baby face, Correct. yeah, <laughs> and, and the way he carries on, yeah, yeah. But you're the youngest bloke on that field, you get Norm Smith votes in that game. All um, the stuff I was a bit, I was unlucky, yeah, correct. And was stolen, Zay Van I, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and me actually, yeah. 2018, yeah. same thing happened. Um, defenders, correct, <laughs> commonality through, correct. The correct. But I mean. Twenty-year-old Bow Waters Premiership player, like you said, you think you're in a dynasty. Effectively, as a twenty-year-old, you don't know any, what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your memories of that day? Are you are you in? Um, I know you're a mentally strong man. Are you, are you in some sort of flow state? Are you mm. are you nervous? Are you? I don't know. What? Are, what are yeah, you? it's um, was incredibly blessed as a junior. So a bit of context. Didn't lose many games until I got to West Coast. I did, literally didn't lose games. So we were undefeated premiers in in our under-14 team. Um, we were undefeated premiers at the top age, under-14. We lost one game as under-16. We were undefeated premiers in uh, under-17s. We were undefeated premiers at top age, <laughs> under-17s. Gosh. Yeah, West Adelaide, the year I left, we lost three games and lost the grand final in the in the um, SANFL. And then to, to Central Districts, then arrived first year, Claremont played in the grand final. We only lost three games that year and West Coast won seven of the last eight or something like that. 2005, we lost the grand final and 2006, I'm in the grand final. So didn't really enter my mind that I was ever going to lose that game out and, and had been, played a lot of finals footy and played in September, albeit not at that level, not in front of a couple of million people and 100,000 fans. But made a conscious decision early on in that week to enjoy the week and to take a really relaxed mentality into the the whole um, theatre of an AFL grand final because they come and go. And in hindsight, it was a pretty mature decision as a 20-year-old That's to, what I'm thinking. to not get overwhelmed with what it was, arguably naive. So maybe if you're 28, it might be worth asking you, Scoey, mm. as an older player at the back end of your career that worked so hard to get to that GF after losing 15, is that, you know, are you trying to – are you building up? Well, well, I know what I did in 15 and I completely butchered it mentally. Like yeah. I just and, – and a lot of us did. So listening to you talk about like that as a 20-year-old, like – I think you might have been naive. Yeah, <laughs> potentially, and that and that's the great thing, right? So, so you know, and and maybe just took a very naive attitude into the whole thing that hey, it's all going to work out. You know, we'll, I'll play down back. I've got the utmost confidence in Coxie, Juddy, Fletch, and Embers to win it out of the middle. Um, very conscious that it's going to be an incredibly hard fought victory um, because that's the way Sydney played. That's the way we played against Sydney. We had circa ten games under 10 points across those three or four years. You know, quite hilarious that in 05, we won the qualifying final by a point and lost mm. the grand final by four points. And then 06, we lost the qualifying final by four points and won the grand final by f- one point. 
yin and yang, baby. It is, man. <laughs> it is. The universe. Um, so went into the game, all smiles, really looking forward to the, the challenge of playing in the GF. Had quite a bit of family that came over from South Australia. Um, and it was one of those days that was just – meant to be for, for everyone. I think the spectacle was great. It was a really hard-fought game. Um, you know, I distinctly remember coming out half to half time being very cognizant that it wasn't going to be a walkover, albeit we were in front by quite a bit. Goodsy running out of the centre, ended up kicking that goal, being involved in that, and then they got a bit of a flow on. And then you fast forward to that last kind of five minutes where the ball just wouldn't leave their Ford 50. You know, I'm playing on some pretty zippy little guys. And, and at that point, you're starting to think, okay, I don't want to be the guy that lets through a goal that we lose by five because that's that would define your career in a lot of respects. Yes. Um, and, yeah, we managed to, to lock it down. Uh, I wouldn't say we got lucky, but, you know, it was a couple of great moments. Clearly, Chicky's smother was incredible. Um my market. I mean the um, other <laughs> the other stuff. In, <laughs> it was just one of those days, and and you know the siren went, and it's incredibly emotional. It's everything you've ever ever worked for as an AFL player. Um, clearly, you want to be in the competition and uh, being a representative for an extended period of time. But when you've won that flag, you feel like you've achieved your childhood dream, and it's a it's a very surreal feeling that you can't explain to people that haven't done it and people that have, you kind of just look at them, you know, give them, give them a nod and they understand that or have an appreciation for what you've both accomplished. Yeah. So, um, uh, I watched a little bit of the, your highlights reel and uh, the mark you're talking about. You you were exhausted in the, at the end of that game. It's cooked. Like, yeah. like you couldn't even run. It's cooked, You were butchered. Yeah. yeah. I had uh, – I think I popped my shoulder out um, – <laughs> kind of lay in the third quarter and Perfect. again back to your earlier point the docs are trying to say look you're done here I was like it's all right we'll, we'll, we'll push through <laughs> up. um but yeah it's a playing against Sydney it was a it was a challenging style of footy as well because that era was just starting to open up it was a bit more about the runners about big clearances transitioning ball from back to forward but Sydney locked things down like tackle count was always through the roof really low scoring and they had some grinders like Brent Kirk. Like they're big bodies. Bolton, you're tackling those guys. You know, you're trying to chase them as well as. I didn't spend the whole day on him. Brett Jones mainly played, played on him, but O'Keefe used to just run back, forward, back, forward. And by the end of it, playing that bit of a handover style footy, um, up and back, low scoring, high tackle. Yeah, it was. I was cool. And I was a kid, was yeah. twenty, right? It's kind of correct. Did you um know much about? What uh, so we was on the pod uh, a few months ago and he was telling us how he like did his hammy in like the first I don't know minute or something of that grand final and how he just like they just strapped the, the shit out of his shit out of it and he just parked himself in the back line. Were you aware of that sort of stuff that was happening? Does that sort of get around or do you just I don't know focus on your own thing? Oh, big picture stuff. You're you're aware of it. The guys are pretty good at keeping keeping that to themselves. Um, and, you know, Wirra did a great job, yeah, incredible player. He's got pretty small hamstrings, so it would have been a small tear. Like it might have been just a little, like, couple of millimetres. I thought thing. you were going to say you're surprised he had hamstrings. Well, calf, definitely calves. <laughs> he used to say he tore his calves. Like, I don't know, what you, 
Torn you. Nothing. So, uh, oh, I, I, I know, I know you don't love talking about these stuff, but that that taxi incident, like that, that could have been, like potentially a lot worse than it was. Yeah, yeah. You got hit by a car doing sixty k's an hour. Yeah. you could have died. Yeah, yeah. Correct. De- definitely. Yeah, and so, so, so things like that when they happen, is that is that turning points, or are you just like on to the next one, next uh, contest? Oh, I think that was a bit of an epiphany. Yeah, mm. yeah. In it was going fast, and it was it was pretty traumatic for even the people that were there had had great support, spent some time in in hospital, and and got out of it relatively well kind of did a lateral ligament in my knee. Um, I don't know if you had this experience growing up, but when you, your dad sits you down and says, look, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. Mm. So in a lot of respects, uh, Wusha had taken on that quasi-father role for me when I came over. I'm kind of humming along at the start of pre-season. Um, admittedly, we were out quite late. I'm a 19-year-old kid with kind of the world at my feet and then got a lateral ligament by getting hit by a taxi, you know, in some respects wasn't necessarily doing anything wrong, but nothing good happens after midnight, right? So I take full accountability that I was out and about and had had been drinking and and whatnot. But the hardest part was actually sitting down talking to John about it and and him saying, well, you know, I'm I'm not angry, I can't. I can't reprimand you. I'm not going to reprimand you, but I'm incredibly disappointed that you're out of action for the next six to eight weeks. And and I know that you've let your teammates down and you've definitely let me down. And that, you know, that was a big turning point for me personally, um, the seriousness of, of the AFL system uh, and, and that how quick things go as well and how quick things change. So did a lot of uh, introspection across that period. Like I said, got, much more engaged in the community uh, and grew up really quick and, and you know, had a um, tumultuous kind of childhood in a lot of respects but lived a, lived a lot before I was 18. So that was in, in some parts was a bit of a, you know, boy to man moment for me and, and I feel like didn't really look back from, from then on, ironically. Did did you cop it from teammates? Like after, like you know, jokingly, did they used to tease you about getting hit by a taxi, or oh. is it sort of like a sensitive thing? And they didn't. No, no, no. I'm not. Anyone knows me. I'm not <laughs> sensitive. I'm pretty thick skin. And if you don't have thick skin, you don't last in a foot club. So, well, well t- talking about hitting things and thick skin, taxi v Bow Waters, probably taxi out on top. But there wasn't too many other times on the football field that that would happen. It was usually Bow Waters that ended up on top. The big hits that you were known for, was that, uh, I've always wanted, never asked you, was that something that was deep inside you that was just instinctual or was it something you learnt and tried to do? Uh, I always had a knack for it, even as a as a young kid when, you know, you weren't really meant to be doing it. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, under 14, like, uh, nah, yeah, like year, three, year, year three, year four, Oh, there he is again. <laughs> um, so I, I naturally had a knack for it. Um, you know, always had a really poor turning circle as well. So just ran in straight lines. <laughs> As, Zoolander. Exactly, yeah. Turn right. Ambi-turner. <laughs> <Can't> turn <left. laughs> 
<laughs> I'm a merman. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about hitting people. Stop talking about Zoolander. Um, so it was natural. I think it, it, it was natural and then you refine it. So, you know, everyone sees things differently. Some guys can see that an oblong ball is going to bounce a particular way. I could see the weight transfer of, of someone when they're running. I could see when they're vulnerable and, you know, would look um, to have that impact. And, uh, yeah, if you, you know, it's, it's all about timing as well. Like I wasn't the biggest guy on the field. I managed to, to lay out a, a few guys and, and – hit relatively hard um, in, in the right circumstance. Was there, was there a particular, or is there a particular hit that you still think about? Um, <laughs> That's a great question. I dream about it. I bet you he does. Yeah. <laughs> I, look, I think, I think the Stephen Salopec hit in the final against Port Adelaide was, was a big one, was, was fair as well. Like we were both contesting the ball and, um, the ones that I, I look back on retrospectively, I, you know, there are a few that I let myself down as well. And I think now with more focus on CTE, concussion and the impact of head injuries, none of this would fly. So I'd need to kind of reiterate that it was legal to bump people in that manner um, back in my day for like an old guy. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think that the Salopec one was definitely at a, a critical t- time in the game and uh, change the momentum for a period. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. The other one that changed the momentum of the game wasn't necessarily the biggest hit, but we're in Geelong and there's a game, the Comeback Kings, where we came back from almost 10 goals down. You might have been in the stands. Oh, what about 2006? Yeah, yeah, you're in the stands. 2006, we're around 10 goals down and um, there was a ball being disputed in the middle of the ground. It was me and Tom Harley, who was their captain at that stage. Hard man. Uh, big guy, right? Big guy. <laughs> and um, I managed to get him. I think I either broke his collarbone or dislocated his shoulder in that particular contest. He went off. They were one defender down, and it was it, in that moment was one of those things that helped shift the momentum. I'm not saying that was the thing, but it was a series of you know, hunts kicked a great goal. There was that, and then yeah, we went on to win that game, and we did the same against Carlton the next week, where we were about eight or nine goals down, and we ended up winning that game. And that gave us that belief that it wouldn't matter how far behind we were, that we could go forward. And yeah, like I said, we won that premiership. You know, six. So there are a couple that definitely spring to mind. What, what does it feel like for people who haven't been on a football field or have been on a football What does it feel like when you flush someone fair? Flush someone fair. Um, it's a. It's. It's kind of when you really get them fair, you don't barely even know you've hit them right. So it's like hitting the middle of the cricket bat. Yeah, it's that is a great analogy. It's like when you hit 
a ball right in the middle of a cricket bat. It's just flush and you haven't tried to hit it hard, but it's gone for a six. It's come straight out of the middle. It's exactly the same. You hit them when their body weight's on the back foot or the side foot and then your body weight's going forward and, you know, the ramifications are pretty serious for them. It might have... <laughs> Might have been like how Chris Mayne felt when you went backing back like a lunatic. <laughs> yeah. I was doing the worm. It's always been my dance move, man. <laughs> I've, I've seen that as well. You do the worm. He does the worm. I used to. <laughs> no, wow. He's not as flexible anymore. <laughs> I've seen him do the worm at a wedding. <laughs> anyway. Celebrating. Uh, correct. And I've seen him do the, the worm at two back oval against Fremantle. <laughs> I was in that game. Some people call it courage. Is that stuff courageous or are you just going to footy? Yeah, is it? I mean, seriously, yeah. that one was stupid. You yeah. you were literally running back as far. Like, yeah. just turn around and try and mark the, the ball backwards, back. Backwards, man, as fast as I can. Here I go. <laughs> I mean, that was cr- – I remember being in that game and I, 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 I was playing and I stopped and I was like, what the fuck yeah. is this guy doing? Yeah. <laughs> <You're> idiot. <laughs> what is going you're on? Idiot. And yeah. you straight back up. Yeah, got back up. Um, I always had a view that – Kind of my shoulders and and my side and my back was relatively protected. So the worst worst case scenario is you get a knee in the back of the head, result in stitches, which happened a few times, or you get a knee in the in the rib, maybe in a kidney. But if you go front on, like if I turn around and try and mark that ball and run front on, you can get a knee in the jaw, knee in the eye socket. Um, the implication is greater. So never, you know, and I never really considered the the again the ramifications of of getting hit it just once that starts to creep into your mindset when you're playing elite sport you're probably pretty close to being done so everything's such a split second decision that if you're questioning yourself um you're not necessarily playing that instinctual game that has made you great and you're not in flow state you're questioning the the logic of your decision and that that moment has has passed. So at that point in time, I got a free kick. I won the ball back for us. I can't remember the result of the game. Probably changed the momentum. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just Dude, I mean, talking about moments like that, uh, you, you, you were in the game when Stakes get knocked out by yeah. Barry Hall. You're a young bloke right there. Like, are you, th- are you thinking, well, I've got to go stick up for stakes? Are you, like, what? You, like Barry Hall at the time, pro- yeah. probably up there with the most intimidating players, and he's just king hit someone. Yeah. Or did you allegedly see, did you see the, the hit? Yeah. He was right there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was very interested in what Barry's favourite restaurants in Sydney were. So I said, where should I go and get a steak after the game? <laughs> Come on. You look go- furious. Yeah. Steaming. I, I took that stuff personally, mm. and, and I didn't – I never cared – how big or intimidating someone was. If that was below the line, like we all sign up to a, a kind of code of ethics when you walk on the field and that was not within the parameters of the ethics. Play hard, compete. You know, guys get hurt when, you, when you're playing a contact sport, but that was, that was not, not great. Um, and Barry, you know, in retrospect, has actually come out publicly and said that's one of his biggest regrets as a player. Now I felt as though, you know, our team and I happened to be the person that was there to enforce that had to show that it's not accepted and the game doesn't accept it. And the West Coast Eagles as a tight-knit competitive unit won't stand for that type of thuggery on the field. And that was as simple as it was. And if he 
hit me, hit me, whatever. It's kind of, yeah, I'd never really thought that what if he does. Mm. Um, didn't cross my mind. <laughs> any um, any derby memories that you have? I mean, those were always pretty heated. Yeah. Um, any, any particular ones that stick out for you? That's a good question. Yeah, we had a great rivalry across the across the tenure still still a great rivalry maybe um some aspects have changed over time but I, I remember there was you know a, a really competitive derby i can't remember what year it was i think it might have been oh six oh seven maybe and um and car the car brothers were targeting cousin curry and that was challenging because they were pushing the boundaries as to what's acceptable on the field. And it was hard. Like everyone was scrapping. There was a lot going on behind the play. There was huge fights, big, big kind of, you know, jumper punches and all that stuff where you, you know, you don't back then you didn't typically get reported or in trouble for that. Um, and so we're all trying to enforce our own, um, uh, will on the game one to win because it was a critical game in relation to the season it was probably going to be the difference between playing a home final and not playing a home final from from memory I've had quite a few concussions so it's good <laughs> <laughs> but um that definitely sticks in my mind that was that was probably as as tough a game as I've played in um and those cowboys they were they were tough guys you know and they always had each other's backs and and that that team from Ferrero's perspective, so they had Shawnee Mack at that stage as well. Um, they had some really tough competitors as well as a lot of class like Hayes. You know, Pav was playing quite well at that stage. So that that's one game that, that I remember really well. I remember a game where Pav kicked quite a few goals and we got we got beaten quite well. There's yeah, another I remember that one. I was playing on him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, sorry. I thought it was easy, actually. <laughs> oh, I would have to mop up after. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then the game that um, Ballas had a kick after the siren from the boundary, didn't quite get it there. Off the boot, that looked like it was going to make it. Um, so some incredible rivalry against Fremantle. We used to say, look, it's no bigger the game than any other game. It's, you know, that's definitely the kind of party line it absolutely is bragging rights particularly when we're both going well in those early years and they went on to play in a grand final we went on to win a flag in six and 18 so it's funny you speaking about all that sort of stuff because I was you know coming in to chat with you I was reflecting on our time together as players and you, Butsy, a few other guys had big impacts not only as me as a player but as a person and just the stuff talking about sticking up for your teammates and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable both on and off the field, you know, really resonates with me and hearing you speak about that. It's just interesting. You as a young guy, like I, I was watching you do that, going, well, okay, that's that's that, that's the standards. Um, and I was reflecting on uh, some stuff that between you and I on the field and <laughs> Before we finally put it to bed, what a lunatic you were, um, because clearly, I mean, look at you now. <laughs> but I remember one day, um, one night, I'm pretty sure um, it was night time, and it was Amy. So it was Amy Oval in Adelaide mm -hmm. against Adelaide, mm -hmm. and I think it was like the night grand final. Like mm -hmm. it was like the preseason, with there was a grand mm -hmm. final. Mm -hmm. There was like a table. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't like they used to do it, but we ended up on top against Adelaide, and we mm -hmm. played in the night grand final, and. Um, I ended up in a scrap on, on the wing against someone. And the next minute, it's two on one. It's Adelaide guy and me and Bowie. And um, I just remember 
Kenny up and go, oh, fuck this, I'm done. Bowie's here, <laughs> sort him out. And looking back, and you had, I think it was Nathan Van Berlo. It may have been someone else. Maybe. You'll probably remember. But just the look of the Adelaide guy's face was like, <laughs> save me. <laughs> we'll come back. Bobby was on top of him and had his just a thumb and finger on his windpipe. <laughs> it was just for a little bit. It was just because he was beaten. Up. I was young. I was 18, 19 years old at this stage. And Bowie had come over, like with stakes, with to stick up for me because I was on the bottom at one stage and then I left with Bowie on top <laughs> and the fear in this you player's bailed. eyes. I still can't – I thought it was Nathan Van Berlo, which is ironic given he uh, was a coach of mine at West Coast in the end. <laughs> Can you remember that? Uh, yeah, again, I think I was talking to him about the best restaurants in town. <laughs> I grew up in Adelaide, so just making sure that he knew where to go, oh. maybe go and visit the Happy Valley Footy Club up there, do, give back a bit to the community, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Now, okay, memories are great. Um, injuries play a big part. Um, you move towards the back end of your career. Again, injuries still a part of it. Um, 14, you don't play a game. 15, you're retiring in the preseason of 15? Yeah. yeah. Um, talk to us about that. Do, do, you, know, do you know it's over? What, why? Did, I, I couldn't recall why. Because you retired in like February or something. Yeah, yeah. It was So... 14 missed, had um, my shoulder, so yep. dislocated my shoulder late 2013, had that operated on, operation got got infected, so not, I, right. not ideal, missed all of 14, uh, which was always going to be a stretch to get back, but, you know, the intention was to give myself the best chance, did a heap of work on getting bigger and stronger, started training in 15, no contact uh, in the preseason, started contact in... Uh, post Christmas of the 2015 uh, preseason, uh, again hoping that by round one, being good enough shape to you know come back and start to compete. Uh, first session back, first couple of sessions back, uh, was in a handball drill with um, with the guys, kind of handball game. Went to tackle Pritter and shoulder, kind of thereabouts popped back out. And yeah, in that moment, <clears throat> had a really frank conversation with Simo and he said look we've we've got your kind of health and well-being to prioritize here as well we, we're kind of worried about the shape of your shoulder and you clearly you're still in quite a bit of pain and we're just doing playing handball games um, funnily enough a lot of people said and I wouldn't say I'm a super spiritual guy but I'm quite intuitive people said you'll know when the time's up and I'd always thought coming back from that shoulder injury that I had a chance, that I was coming back, I felt fit, I'd trained incredibly hard in the off-season. And in that moment where the shoulder popped out in that handball game, um, a, a massive weight went off my shoulders. And and an emotional weight, I was I was definitely emotional at the time and went back in and, and uh, it was in that, that crystal clear incident that said, uh, I'm done. I, I can't there's no way that I can I can go on um, I think I can get back physically I can get back to be doing exercise and potentially marking a ball but there's no way that I can genuinely contribute to the team at that level and truth be told I was going to be a liability and it would have been uh, in in my mind selfish for me to keep going on so sat down with the club and and the club had sort of said look we're fully supportive of your decision um clearly we want 
you to be in the best physical shape you can be post-career. You retired an incredibly long time, which even now picking up my kind of 16, 17-month-old baby, realise that playing elite sport has a has an impact on how on your overall well-being you know your back's a little bit sore your shoulders are still sore so definitely the right decision given everything that was was going on um also took a degree of confidence you know coming back to my really earlier point on this show that i always knew footy was a finite existence and in a perfect world i would have played until 2018 and been part of that premiership team and um and kind of done what uh, Drew Banfield did, had one at the start and one at the end. Mm. It didn't work out that way and everything happens for a reason. I'd really prepared myself for post-football. I'd just finished my MBA. Um, I was working at Azua Capital at that stage in a in an intern role with some of the great folks that I'd met through the club and um, had that moment that said, look, I'm incredibly grateful for the last 12 years, played in a premiership, made some of the – my best mates in the world, you know, met some of the best people in the world and I've given everything I can that I physically um, have nothing more to give. Mentally, I was I was still there, but physically my body had nothing more to give. So left the game really comfortable that I'd left everything out there and couldn't have gone on with the intention of transitioning into Chapter 2. Is 15 and 18 hard then? Like, you, you, you're done, but then to watch the group that you've been a big part of building... Um, you know, I look back on the, the 2008 to 2012 period and you look at the guys that were there and mm. Kennedy and Chewy and Nick Nat and, and myself and Eric McKenzie and all these guys, they went through and played through those periods. Is it is it hard or is it pride or is it both? Absolute pride. Mm. Not not um, not hard in the slightest. I was incredibly proud of the group and the team. I was incredibly proud that I was part of helping build that culture of success um, being involved with the club for such a long time and that playing group, you know, my best mates were running out on that field. There was nothing other than admiration for that team that had been able to make the 2015 grand final and and hurt like hell that the, the guys didn't get over the line. Um, there was no element of um, kind of uh, misery or uh, pity on my, on my own behalf. I just... All I wanted was the the team to be successful, and for some of my teammates to experience that same feeling that I got in twenty uh, two thousand six, mm. and then two thousand and eighteen, uh, I was at that clearly at the game, and you know I remember the siren going with the the guys a video of me bouncing around like a lunatic. Kind Did of, you? Yeah, ca- carrying on just <laughs> you know, like like I said, like. Yourself, Joshy, Lekka, Bunger, we've known each other since we're 17, 18 years of age, coming into the club, men, uh, kids and leaving men, and um, raced down to the boundary line and, and had the kind of biggest hug with Lekka and JK and was just, you know, so unbelievably happy that they uh, got to experience that unbelievable AFL grand final premiership player experience. So, and... You know, like 2006, there were players that helped shape the club, the culture. Uh, there was also off-field administrators that helped shape the culture and, and the expectation and the values that didn't necessarily get to play on that day or that weren't at the club, but they played an integral role getting us there. And and I think that's the acknowledgement as a player that you 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 see. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of look, look back and think such a cool, cool part of uh, – the club's history having four premierships. 
you played 120 games throughout your career. Mm. Um, 150 for life membership. Um, you're awarded life membership in 2020. Mm. I know, like you can hear, it cost me, it cost me a lot actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's just incredible. You only got 120. I feel like you played 300 games. If you didn't, don't to, count your games, mate. Your games count. 2020 <laughs> life membership. That that meant a lot to you. I mean, the footy club means a lot to you. Given, I mean, given the transformation you've had as a person. Yeah, it 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 did. It did. I'm I'm um, incredibly indebted to our club and and the competition. Uh, as a whole, I uh, kind of feel like it was, it's helped me flourish as a person and um, definitely had a lot of development since I joined the club. And it was my way of getting out of where I lived in my childhood and, and not repeating those same mistakes that others had in my kind of family chain. So you have to take the opportunity when it's, when it's given to you. And I, and I feel like I did that, but that I wouldn't be where I am without the support and the access and exposure to all of the people that I've met over the years from the footy club and more broadly the AFL footy um, system. And, you know, often we focus on some of the stories, the heartache stories, but there are so many great stories out there. You know, we've got 700-odd players that are playing in the competition from all different walks of life. And I think that's one of the the best aspects of, of this game. We've now got a women's competition, again, coming from completely different backgrounds, trying to bridge that gap. Um, and then to be a life member of the footy club, uh, I just wanted the two tickets, but um, <laughs> to be a life member of the footy club and to be recognised was a great honour. And I, I kind of said that in my speech on the night, that that place is like a family. It always has been. Um, you know, the people that you meet are the, the types of people that you don't see for 12 months, 24 months, and then you pick up straight back up where you left off and it's like a, a long-lost brother or father or, you know, in some respects, sister sometimes. So, um, yeah, it's a, it, it is a incredible club and naturally with elite sport, it's always going to have its challenges and there's always going to be viewpoints on where they're at at a particular time and the... Being able to quantify where a club is on a week-to-week basis is, is is challenging. And it's something, ironically, that I miss post-football in that each week you could validate whether you've performed for that particular week. You get to the end of the week and you say, okay, well, I've achieved my role, kicks, marks, handballs, we've won, tick. We had some great kind of honest, transparent conversations with a couple of the people and we did a couple of community activations. What a great week. Whereas as you move into the corporate world, you have quarterly reviews. There's not the same level of accountability. Um, there's not the same visibility within the community outside of maybe share price moving. So there's a lot to really um, love and cherish about that degree of, uh, kind of call it accountability yeah. relating to the club. Have you got any more questions for Bowie to, about footy? Because I'm going to move no, post footy, and I've got go, one. Let's go post footy. Uh, well, before we get there, I was writing notes again and about memories, and I've got lots. But my no, but by in a, on a more serious note, my my best memory and well, a memory that I think summarises you as a player, and you would never know about this probably. Uh, so my old man passed away. Um, played I, on a Tuesday. I played on the Friday. Played Friday night. Hawthorne, shocking weather. Like he was up there just going, watch this fucking because Hawthorne were probably a more skillful side at that stage. Yeah. I think it was whatever year it was. Anyway, after the game. Channel 7, good old media. They want to have a chat to me after the game. I was an absolute wreck. And I remember Bowie literally 
uh, first of all, telling them to get fucked. Tell them to just <laughs> fuck off, please. And then spoke on my behalf to the media, um, you know, effectively, like on my family's behalf, speaking about my old man. I don't know if you remember doing that, but that, I always love the limelight. That, <laughs> that to me summarizes Bo Waters. And I don't think no one would know about that. So I thought I'd share it in a public forum, mate. Thanks, so, mate. It was good. <laughs> so to finish your footy career, um, Big biffs, bumps and brawlers, hardest man alive, changes from the rough kid to the NBA to, to the suit wearing slick back hair, decides <laughs> decides at some point, like you mentioned off the top, to do endurance Ironmans. Why? <laughs> at uh, what point did you lose your mind in all of that? Yeah, think, yeah. Doing a, a lot of concussions. <laughs> well, but what is it? It's a 3.8K swim. 3.8K swim. 180K. 180Ks on the bike. And then a marathon. And then a marathon, yeah. So that's appealing in, yeah. in some way, is it? Well, you know, it's the it's arguably the toughest race on the earth. That's that's how it was framed up. Now, in my mind, that's fan great. Well, if you want to be the toughest guy on earth, you got to race in the <laughs> toughest races on earth. But you couldn't swim or, couldn't or swim. ride. No. Or run, really. I mean, you couldn't. Nah, I, was a, I was a battler <laughs> on all three fronts. <laughs> but I had the mental attitude and the commitment to to go after it. I'd always thought, I'd always thought it was a great challenge, and had watched a few of those clips back in the day of the Hawaiian Ironman and kind of those guys, their bodies crumbling at the finish line, and just thought, what what better way? You know, relatively low impact as well. So coming off a footy season where it's bash crash and bump and brawl, like you were saying, what could I do that's going to test me mentally um, as well as going to get something out of it. And and I thought, hey, why not sign up to an Ironman? And Bustleton down in Western Australia, the bottom bottom half of Western Australia, has arguably the most scenic Ironman in the world. They've got – you swim around the Bustleton jetty and then you jump back on and you ride up through the forest and then you run in front of um, the Bustleton beach there. It's a, fantastic. So I was like, all right, let's, let's do it. So signed up to that. <laughs> um, if I come back a little bit, I'd actually finished in Feb and uh, I was a director at Youth Focus um, and they have a ride for youth each year, which is a way to fundraise money for um, at-risk youth and kind of uh, promote the challenges around um, good mental health and prevent youth suicide. And so I signed up to that ride and there's a $5,000 buy-in, pays for all your things, and then you do a whole heap of fundraising to con- – um, we end up raising around just over $2 million that, oh, that year, which is great. So I think, again, I might get some of these numbers wrong. I think it's raised over 30 mil over the journey. So a couple Crazy. of guys did it, uh, started it up, and now there's 170-odd people. And, and the range of rider expertise, so you ride from Albany back up to Perth and you stop in at all these schools and you raise awareness and you know you give them access to the, uh, the services of Youth Focus. And as a director of – of youth folk, I thought it's a great opportunity to actually see grassroots what we're doing. Um, always had a real passion for kind of um, suicide prevention and mental health for for a few different reasons. Great, the v- variety of um, ability on the bike went from novice, never ridden a bike before, you know, typically overweight and looking at this as a way to get their own mental health in shape. Um, up to some of these elite guys like Peter Trench, who was one of the architects of the ride, ex um, Ironman professional Ironman triathlete, you know, incredible. You look at him, and he's like carved out of stone. Um, 
So I was like, oh, let's let's do this. So that's that's in March. It's, it's across a couple of days. Great community feel. Again, a sub, a, almost a substitute for the community that you lose in terms of the footy club, trying to replicate that same family environment. Did that, got a taste for the bike, really enjoyed being on the bike, enjoyed, you know, um, spending time kind of just building up the strength and endurance and was not too bad, was kind of worked out that I had relatively strong legs and, and um, you know, could, could get from point A to point B relatively quick. It's like, oh, I'll do an Ironman. Had to do a fair bit of work on the swim. You swim in a wetsuit, so just full disclosure, swim in a wetsuit, which is relatively buoyant, which helps, which keeps your legs up. doesn't make a huge difference. You don't have a motor it, on the back, mate. It's you just don't. a wetsuit. No, you don't. <laughs> And um, anyway, I went full throttle into into pursuing pursuing that, and that was in parallel with starting a new job at West Farmers um, in their M and A team, which is kind of in house investment banking, pretty challenging, you know, work hours and the like. But always found exercise, being outdoors, doing things with um, kind of like minded people is a great way to just recalibrate my own mental health. Um, up and about, you know, positive attitude, and then also deal with some of the natural challenges around work and life. What was your, what was a normal, when you're peak training and you're working that job, what would a day look like for you? And working the job? Yeah, when you're working that job, which was heavy hours, like you're, you're working 18 hour days, weren't you? Yeah. Somewhere there. Yeah, I don't know. long days, long days. But then you're training for some. Yeah, yeah. So the alarm would go off around four, get up, um, either go to swim squad or jump on the bike, do an hour and a half of swim squad or two or two and a half, three hours on the bike, quick coffee, get changed in the office by 7.30. You know, some of the more gnarly days, finishing at kind of midnight and then running around the river, finish up at one or two o'clock and then maybe sleep in till six the next morning. So not, not promoting... Yeah, it's like it was... It was definitely challenging in terms of balancing everything. Um, and and again, that perfectionist attitude was, I want to knock it out of the park, both at work and also in the in the in in my first ever Ironman. Yeah, arguably overtrained. So training somewhere around 30 hours a week, that was broad numbers. You're swimming about 10 Ks a week. You're biking somewhere between four and 500 Ks a week and you're running between 80 and 100 Ks a week. So that plus a full-time job plus kind of social and whatever else you want to be doing. And that's that was what got me into it and um, really enjoyed it. It really enjoyed – body changed a lot, lose, lost a heap of weight and started to see really good progress. It's a bit like that, that curve is so steep when you start a new discipline that it's really motivating. And then once you get to the pointy end – the kind of elite end, then you just you're scrapping for half a percent improvement, one percent improvement, which is you know you, it's exponential to the amount of time that you have to invest. But early days, it was like, oh, this is going to kick this out of the park, they're going to nail it, and then yeah, had a relatively good race, um, enjoyed it, finished. So that was your first, the bus I won. First uh, Ironman, yeah, did. It. Did nah 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 no. nah did a did a half Ironman on Sunshine Coast, which is literally half of all of that, um, and that went okay, went went alright. I think it was top five in that one. Then the longer distance um, was challenging. Did went sub ten hours, which is a bit of a benchmark for for people. 
which was which was cool. Didn't qualify for Hawaii, um, and then did Cairns the following March. Was it March? Maybe <coughs> April or May, and qualified for Hawaii, and then went to Hawaii that uh, October. Hmm. What's it like? Um, what's the most challenging part halfway through the run? Uh, no, it's not actually the most. Uh, I would say the most challenging part is is halfway through the ride because if you if you kind of start to wrap yourself around the axle, pun the pun, you you um you start to think so much about the marathon that you're like, wow, I've still got at least three hours on the bike, and then I've got a marathon. <laughs> And, and that's <laughs> kind of awesome. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it it definitely pushes it pushes you beyond your own expectations and your own limits. You got any more in you? Nah, nah, no more Ironman. I did ten. That was my number. I did did uh, ten halves and ten full. That's what I want to do. Did twice. Twice went to Hawaii, um, and now now I just focused on the dad bod kind of. <laughs> Working hard on that. Well, that puts a nice bow on it. What's the most challenging thing? Laying out blokes on the field, winning flags, Iron Man, being a dad. Well, I think at they, at different times, each of those. I reckon I, I say to everyone, being a dad, ninety eight percent of the time is the best thing I've ever done. It's kind of game changing. You you don't realise the love that you've got until you see this little person. You've never met them. They come out and you give your life for them. It's just the most bizarre <laughs> phenomenon, right? Like you don't have any affinity to them. You see them and you're like, oh, I'll do anything for you. <laughs> you know, like everything else in life, it builds up. Like your love for someone builds up, your respect builds up. Not for this little bugger. It's like, oh, <laughs> I'll give you whatever. You tell me whatever. <laughs> that being said, there's 2% of the time that you're like, oh, mama, you're testing. <laughs> yeah, Get me back on the ride. Yeah, yeah. Back the oh, I'm going out and I'm not coming back. <laughs> 180k ride turns into yeah. a 10,000 kilometer yeah. bike. Nah, we're, I'm, I'm so lucky. One, my wife Belle is an unbelievable mum and she's just like a duck to water with, with that. So that's a huge help. Um, and also our little guy is just a rock star. Everyone loves their kids, but we've been blessed. He's kind of sleeps, he's responded, he's pretty pretty cool little dude so a bit lucky um very good mate that's us for our questions done and dusted but we've got a couple of questions from the audience social media not social you'd like that mm -hmm. so that's love it face. this is where the people get to ask you the questions right mm -hmm. and there's some good ones in here oh, i can't remember a time where social media has gone off more than it did yeah, it we, we put it up last <laughs> night went off its head. people <laughs> want to know about bow waters yeah. some good questions here so let's get into them john underscore dawson uh, what would you tell 18-year-old Bo? 18-year-old Bo. Um, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Just, you know, everyone wants everything yesterday. And as a young person, you're incredibly impatient. But just recognize that time goes fast. And to have a vision for where you want to get to, um, rather than being incredibly tactic and, and just focusing on the day-to-day. -day. Josh... Dot Barrett, great question. Did you ever find out who took your grand final jumper from the locker rooms? What happened there? Great question. That's a that is a great question. So I never found out who took it, but I got it back. So I don't know if the viewers know this, but I got a phone call 
So, about, so what happened? So, after so, so we play in two jerseys. Yep. Naturally, you're playing in the grand finals, so you swap your Guernsey at half time. So you've got kind of two to keep for a keepsake, one for you, and then you can do one with whatever else, however it might work out. Somebody um, got into the room and flogged my second jersey. So clearly I had one on that I never took off. And then I had another one in my bag that someone had grabbed out. Um, anyway, I'd kind of completely forgotten about Not forgotten about it. It was di- disappointing. Got it put up with the photos and the medal and whatnot. And then about six or seven years later, um, I got a text message from someone saying, hey, did, did you... Um, lose your grand final jersey and I said yeah I did someone it's being auctioned at the pub I'm at <laughs> dead set where dead set oh, in Victoria what I was like anyway managed to get it back so found out I'm pretty sure I had to pay someone a few bucks to to get it Ransom. back off them but yeah because that person was you know unsuspecting they didn't know that they were buying a kind of stolen jersey so all is well that finishes well, and I got both my jerseys back. Wow. I wonder how it, I wonder how it got there. That's very mm. good. Um, and the person who took it has never been seen again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Sam uh, Butler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Rye Dunn. Uh, have you ever thought about coaching at the AFL level? No, I haven't. Um, always thought that I would uh, leave the AFL industry post-footy um, go and get some commercial experience, been out nine years, wouldn't be against re-entering um, the footy footy world, but would be primarily focused on the administrative side or the commercial side. Um, Candace Spag, we sort of touched on this, but... Uh, how do you go playing these days with the bump dead? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. I, I think players are incredibly intuitive. So you evolve to the rules that are put in front of you. I'm sure that there would be a, a few instances where I'd get in trouble. Even back then, I'd had a couple of uh, reports and suspensions that were on the back of you know not not nailing the bump. But I, I would adapt like most players are now. I, I, even this season, we've seen a bit of ambiguity around the tackle and the sling tackle and players are really responding to that. Um, it just puts that doubt in your mind as to whether you're going to get suspended or not and naturally then you don't do it. Um, good answer. Harry underscore Hallsworth. Uh, don't want to ask anything, just tell him I love him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Love you too, Harry. <laughs> tell us Dawson. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Who was your toughest opponent? Oh, that's a great question as well. It's it's not – so I played a Michael Voss in my third game, was <laughs> was entrusted to, to tag him. For whatever reason, first handful of games was going into the middle – playing on the big-bodied midfielder, and then I'd roll out. So I had Pav, uh, Voss, played a bit of time at Buckley. All of those guys, incredibly challenging. Brownlow medalists, some of them. Gian Syracuse. Daniel, Daniel Gian Syracuse was my Achilles heel. I never got a hold of him. He would always kick at least two on me, um, and he played a style that just didn't bode well with my, my style. So I'd try and get up the field, read the play, and he'd – be a bit loose out the back and, you know, rely on the turnover. And yeah, he's always just a little bit too nimble. So Daniel Gian Syracuse was yeah, the guy that got me, gave me, uh, gave me nightmares. He's, you're co- his bunny. he's coaching that. Yeah, you're his bunny. Oh, yeah. I'm his bunny. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, uh, Clint Penny. What's, he's got a message for uh, is, it, is it true cement drinks cups of Bow Waters to harden the fuck up? 
Got it. Short for Decker. Uh, do you still pull out the friendship bracelet? Any Buttsman stories? Buttman stories? Did you, have, you have a friendship bracelet as well. You've like seen it in a relationship. I don't know if I had a friendship bracelet. The tattoo was as far as we as far as we went. Um, Did you ever like link like put the tattoo next to each other so it looked like a full circle? Uh, look, I think we're very heterosexual, so <laughs> <laughs> let's just preface that we're both married <laughs> with kids, um, which is good mates. Good yeah. mates. Yeah, it would have been pretty cool having Butsy at the football club. Oh, you get drafted from South Australia together. Yeah, best mates go through. Awesome, you know, you, because you it irrespective of how good playing elite sport is, it's challenging and it has its moments and through injuries or not getting selected or the team not performing. So it was always nice to have somebody that was more than a footy club member that we could spend time with. Obviously, we had crossover with our friend network back home, you know, best men in, in our weddings. Like it's it's been a great way um, to be able to uh, kind of shoulder the – the challenges associated with professional sport. Mm. Um, Taz underscore Sky. Uh, you and Hall in the boxing ring, who wins? Oh, Barry. Barry by yeah, long way. Barry, golden, <laughs> golden glove boxer. <laughs> I had the, yeah, again, I was a naive kid. I'm under no illusion that uh, he would smoke me. Cam, Cam Mooney got in with someone kind of 30 kilos heavier and he can handle himself and Look how it ended for him. Did not go well. No. And to finish things off, the egg man asked every every question. Every, every how way. do you like your eggs? Um, medium over well. What is that, man? I don't know. <laughs> I've just heard it said in restaurants. <laughs> is, that, is that a steak <laughs> or an egg? Isn't that how the yolk goes? <laughs> right. Oh, it's very good. Poached. 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 Good. That's very good, Bobby. That finishes us off, mate. Um, how awesome. was that? Was I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks for having me on. We really appreciate you coming in, mate. So our partners, our sponsors, Fleet Network, powering the podcast this year. Big thanks to Swimply, to mm-hmm. Whippersnapper, to Margaret River Roasting Co., to Shelter Brewing Co., Leadable Cameras. Uh, a big shout-out to our patrons. Sign up yeah. on VIP, uh, on, on backchatpodcast.com for VIP access to one more story from Bo Waters. We're going to get one more. Cameras off. Just one more question after we're done here. Uh, Backchat double underscore on socials. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.